Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hey. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people, who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how are you? How's it going? I'm doing well. I feel like, well, I mean, it's week, week two of Ramadan. I feel like I'm getting into the groove of things. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm chilling. Um, my graduation is coming up, which is exciting and also a little bit stressful because I've just been like trying to decide on a grad outfit and like just organize my day. And I completely forgot to do the Instagram live yesterday. So I'm very sorry. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah I just, just realized. <laughs> you forgot that as well. I forgot. Oh my God. No, somebody messaged me yesterday at like eight being like, so what's there going to be a live? And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just like, because at that, like at that time I was looking at saris with my mom and like just trying to sort out what I was going to wear and just completely lost in all that planning. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> to anyone that I disappointed with that, but we'll do. We'll, we can talk about the week today in this little little potty instead. How about that? Yeah. Well, we've both been um pretty busy. I've been getting my heads in in the books, trying to be studious, trying to some, write some essays, and you've been. I've not been busy. You've not been busy. I mean, aside from like the grad stuff, but I um have like barely worked in the past week. I've just been like, it's been very emotional. Oh, never mind then. You have no excuse. <laughs> I've had a very, like, emotionally productive last couple of days. Right. Um, which is a term that I learned from Mitch, by the way. So, I will, I will credit you, Mitch. Oh, thank you. Because Mitch says emotionally Cite your productive. sources. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I said that on my Instagram story and somebody replied being like, oh, my God, I love the term emotionally productive. And I was like, oh, it's not mine. <laughs> because I, like, I saw some friends. I went to a friend's housewarming. I did a lot of painting. I'm picking my grad outfit. Like, just living my best life these last couple of days. And it's been good because I feel like typically I come in here and I talk about how overworked I am, like, all the time. And it's been nice to not be overworked and to, like, have time off uh, because I will be starting a new job in a few weeks. Uh, I have officially signed my contract and been introduced to the team digitally and have handed in my resignation at my retail job. So I'll give you guys more details closer to, but we will have to change up how we do a few things around here to accommodate me. That's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. It's very exciting. Yes. Um, but yes, yeah, so I guess it's like, it's kind of been a lot, but also not a lot, a lot in the sense of things are changing, but not a lot in the sense that I've mostly just been painting and shit. It's been chill. Cool. Well, we have a few random disjointed things that we want to bring up this episode before we get started. Yeah. This uh, is the stuff that I probably also would have talked about in my life. Yeah, exactly. So we'll just, we'll just do it now. Let's call this section because, you know, we've got like follow up and then topic. This is, this is catch up. It's catch up. Catch up. What's and then good? it's follow up, which is like podcast episode related. And then it's like topic. I like that. There you go. Okay, here we go. I just quickly wanted to mention the Oscars, which happened as of recording yesterday, which I'm normally engaged with. And I normally, you know, I I know it's often silly. I know it's often problematic. And, you know, it's at worst problematic and it's at best uh, a bunch of liberals congratulating themselves, patting themselves on the back for the amazing work they did throughout the year. But this year, I just found it so difficult to, to really care 
I feel like there's just <laughs> so me much. every year. <laughs> Firstly, I mean, the movies that came out this year just weren't too exciting, it, which, I mean, fair enough because of COVID and all. But also, just with everything that's going on in the world, mm. I feel like it highlighted how almost unnecessary or how much of a distraction these sort of things are. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where, I mean, I kind of forgot about the Oscars and I knew they were coming. Like, it was on my radar. Well, to be fair, this year was um, positively received at the Oscars, I mean, for being a diverse nomination list. Yeah, well, I know that there was um, Best Director went to, like, a woman of colour, which was a huge deal. Yes, Chloe Zhao for uh, for Nomadland, which was the best uh, directed film of, of those nominated. And I would recommend to anyone listening. Um, but yeah, there was there was two women nominated mm. this year for Best Director uh, for Nomadland and controversially, at least with us, Promising Young Woman, which- uh, <laughs> Yeah, y'all know our thoughts on that you one. You would know. And if you, if you haven't, you can definitely uh, check that out. And I was really thinking about Promising Young Woman through, through all of this because it, uh, I mean, it was nominated for Best Picture. Um, it won Best Original Screenplay. And it was just bringing back all these issues that I had with the film and that we both had. Um, and I'm just so curious as to why it was so successful this year. Yeah, I mean, I do think, and this is going to sound so cynical, but like the Oscars has been called out for being incredibly racist and sexist in the past. And a part of me does wonder if they just latched onto this as their white feminist movie and went for it. And they were like, you know what? Women need a win. And this is a movie about women. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, no, I get you. It did feel like... Um, it's a little bit tokenistic, a little bit. Yeah. I was talking to, to people about it uh, yesterday while just after it won uh, Best Original Screenplay. And I feel like the main issue I had with it, and it's what we talked about uh, on our podcast episode, but I feel like this win just really reaffirmed my position, was that it's trying on one level to be didactic and educational. And it's trying to have like a moral imperative behind the actions of the film. And then there's it's also trying to be uh, a complex moral drama that is like, you know, with characters that you don't necessarily like or it's in the morally grey area. And I feel like when it does both at once, trying to be didactic and then also morally grey, I think it just becomes a bit incoherent. And I think that has to do with the messiness of it because I thought the writing was sort of messy, direction was messy at just a technical level. It felt like a first Mm. feature to me. And I just wish that other films took its place. You know, if we're going to have the feminist film, there were so many good feminist films that came out. Yeah. In the past year. On the podcast, we talked about Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. That was a great movie. Which was a phenomenal film. Also, uh, The Assistant came out, which was a more direct critique of, of Weinstein Hollywood. So, I'm disappointed that Promising Young Woman, which, while in some ways is a more difficult film, in other ways is almost the safer pick. Yes, I was just going to say, in a lot of ways, its politics were actually far more palatable. Because it wasn't really saying anything controversial. And that's like part of the weirdness for the whole thing because you're watching it and what it's supposed to be doing and what it was marketed as and what is clearly what the director's vision was was like it calls out the nice guys it calls out a level of sexism that is so casual and so like normalized and is rarely called out that private school boy kind of misogyny but like that is called out i feel like it thought it was doing something really new and it kind of wasn't yeah, I just feel like they gave it to it to them as they gave them so many nominations as well as part of just like we need to prove that we're not misogynists and this is a good pick. Yeah, no, I I think I agree. So yeah, anyways, watch Nomadland. It definitely deserved the win. That's my my movie recommendation for the week of the week. 
Speaking of misogyny, <laughs> um, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. But the first thing I want to talk about, because the other one I'll do in our follow-up, because this is the catch-up section, is you all know I've been binging Criminal Minds. I feel like I've mentioned it pretty much every episode for the last like couple of weeks. I've been watching it for like two months now. I'm on, I think I'm just about to finish season six. Um, and I am devo, because I knew it was going to fall apart. I knew it. People warned me. Also, by the way, I don't care if this spoils Criminal Minds for you because it's been like 10 years. So I'm pu- this disclaimer is going out there now. But this is a season where Emily Prentice, who is like kind of the badass girl of the team, like dies, quote unquote dies. I mean, they think she died and then it's, it's all covered up. I don't know. There's no point explaining it. The point is she's no longer part of the team. Um, and she is the second female character to go in like one in like a whole season. I think JJ left in season five and then Emily's gone in season six. And immediately after she leaves, the show just feels boring. Like, she was great TV. She had a really good vibe. She was a glue that kept the team together. And just, like, it was interesting to watch her because most male characters in, like, these procedural crime shows tend to be, like, this very typical cocky, arrogant cop kind of vibe. And Emily very much, as like, her character was often in opposition to that. And it, she was, like, a good feminist character to watch on TV. Like, she was not a manic pixie dream girl. She wasn't, like, born sexy yesterday or any of those other tropes. Like, yeah, she's, like, good at her job. And she's also, like, sensitive. And she also likes kids. And she's, like, just, like, a woman, you know? It was pretty chill. And after she left, the show just felt kind of shit. I've watched a few more episodes. And it's boring and also a bit ableist. And I'm just not really enjoying it. And then I went and Googled why she left. Because I was like, I don't understand. She is one of the most compelling characters on the show. They literally removed her from the show because they were cutting out female characters. Like, that's actually why she left. And she, like, released commentary on, like, the sexism and misogyny about it all. And how she was really upset because she loved her role. And I'm just mad now because... I know that these crime dramas are sexist and misogynistic. We all know. Mitch and I have done an entire podcast episode on it because, like, these shows don't exist without female victims being brutalized, right? Like, these shows necessitate misogyny. Like, we have to watch women being murdered and stabbed and killed and raped in order to even have a plot in these shows. So I'm not going to, like, pretend that they're woke in any capacity, but, like, it's still really disappointing for it to be ruined based on, like, not wanting women on the show, Because, like, they are the heart of the show and you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You know what I mean? Like, imagine hating women so much that you'll literally ruin your own show because you hate women that much. Reading through it all, I'm like, they got rid of her because, and well, she claims at least that they were just cutting out their female characters. And they, like, the show claims that it was for budget reasons. But the new female character that has replaced the previous two, who, by the way, is, of course, Aryan, white, blonde, blue-eyed, looks like a Barbie. Of course. You know, they got rid of the two characters and replaced them with this because we only like watching women on TV if they're really hot and mostly silent. But that woman was getting paid a lot more than these women were. So it's, like, not a budget situation because you replaced her with a more expensive actress. They also probably pay the women less as well, so it'd be cheaper to to fire the men. Yeah, I was going to say, if anything, you may as well have an all-female cast. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just one of those things where, like, they can claim whatever they want, but she... And other female actresses on the set have, like, called it out for being, like, sexist and misogynistic. And while that's not surprising on a propaganda show, on a show that, like, requires female suffering, it's still disappointing as a watcher. But, yeah, that's just me being mad about Criminal Minds. Yeah. Well, anyways, before we get into follow-up, I just wanted to quickly put out a little book recommendation for this amazing piece of literature that I read, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, which is No Friend But the Mountains by Berus Bachani. For those of you who don't know, he is an ex-refugee. He was stuck on Manus Island 
um, like Nauru with other refugees at Australia locked away. And he only very recently was freed uh, and is now living in New Zealand. And I'm very happy for him. But he is an incredible writer. He is quite well known. I think he was a journalist um, in Iran. He's Kurdish before he was locked up. Yeah, by he's Australian a journalist escaping persecution yeah. in Iran. Yeah, his writing is just fantastic. And I may, I'll maybe do a post on my Instagram going into more depth. But yeah, it's really one of the most stunning books I've read. So big recommendation to anyone listening. Anyway, I think I'm going to move this into our follow-up section now. Um, there's been some pretty big news lately. And there's one specific thing that I wanted to just briefly talk about. In relation to our ongoing conversation about Australian misogyny and politics and media, there's just been some more tragic news this week where two women and an infant were murdered by the women's husbands slash the baby's father. And it's been really, really sad. There was quite a bit of national coverage in the beginning when two men both murdered their spouse and one of them murdered their nine-month-old daughter as well. And it was really, really fucking sad. Um, but I feel like the national coverage fizzled out quite quickly for those, which shocked me a lot because, I mean, in Australia, the domestic violence rates are incredibly high. Uh, like for I say this all the time, but like for women my age, the leading cause of death is our partners. Like if I die before I'm 45, it's most likely because like a male partner murdered me, which is really, really sad and scary. And like people love to talk about what a developed nation we are but if like our biggest issue for women my age is men murdering them we clearly have a huge problem and we are not as advanced as we think we are why i was bringing this up is because it's frustrating me how much this coverage just dies down and how after a few days it's no longer news because this is happening all the time a woman dies of domestic violence or no a woman dies by like being murdered by a partner um like on average every week in australia there's a huge issue. It's happening constantly. And I feel like there's been really big social media commentary. I feel like a lot of people that I follow online are talking about it. And it's been a really big conversation in my kind of algorithmic circles on Instagram and Facebook. But I realized that extending outside of that, no one is talking about this anymore. Because it's old news now. And it's like, how many more women have to die before we actually start to care about this? Like, are we, are we just accepting this as part of our norm? That like, women and babies are just going to get murdered every week for what? It's just, I don't know. I don't even have a huge amount to say about this. I just kind of wanted to bring it up because I think we kind of just have to take up the responsibility of bringing it up all the time because clearly other people aren't going to bring it up all the time. And clearly the news and the media and politics are not that interested in women's lives and, and well-being. And so we kind of just have to be looking out for each other by constantly bringing up these conversations because like until women can just be comfortable existing, no one is allowed to be comfortable. Like I will keep bringing up this conversation no matter how uncomfortable it is and how annoying it is because like people are dying and it's messed up. Anyway, I'll move into our topic for today because we've been talking for quite a while now. Due to popular demand, we are going to do a part two today expanding on the latter half of last week's episode because a lot of you really, really wanted me to talk more about what it's like when you're too brown for the white kids, too white for the brown kids. And that is a very relatable sentiment for everybody, I think. I know I only talked about it quite briefly in last week's episode because I really wanted to get into, like, the positives. We talk a lot about racism on this show and, like, how much we suffer from it. And we don't always talk about how much we grow from it. And I really want to talk about that last week. But today we shall go back because I think it is an important conversation to have. And a lot of you really, really need to hear it, I think, or want to hear it. Um, And I'm happy to provide. So let's get into it. 
I feel like the first step that a lot of people of color go through in like their identity journey, especially when you're kind of in between worlds as like maybe a first generation or second generation immigrant who is like living around or in a very white colonized country when you are not white, it can be very awkward. And I feel like it kind of, the first step is like knowing you're othered, like the immediate and deep understanding that you are different. I feel like I always had that, which is kind of strange because I actually grew up like in the Pakistani community. I was surrounded. I didn't even meet a white person until I was like 10 years old. You know, like I was very much in like ethnic Western Sydney. Um, And so it's kind of strange that despite that, despite my like cultural insulation, I was not exposed to whiteness. I still knew that I was different and I still wanted to be white because it permeates every part of your life. Because even if I'm not around white people and I'm not hanging around white people that make me feel like I'm different, I'm still consuming media made by white people for white people. Like even if you just watch ABC Kids growing up or kind of any kind of TV, movies, media, I'm still seeing mostly white people and I'm still feeling like I'm not that white person and all the pretty girls in this stuff are white girls and I'm not white so I'm probably not pretty. (laughs) You know, it's kind of strange how aware you can be as a child about all of this and when you see all these white people doing cool stuff and you're like not a white person and you're not doing cool stuff you kind of assume you're not doing cool stuff because you're not white and that's the reason and then you start wishing for whiteness because you want to be cool you want to have fun you want to fit in you want to have freedom I like had you know when you have that online persona um all my like online characters were always called Samantha (laughs) because that was like my white name and it's just like that's where the internalized resistance starts like 100% that is like where it begins at least in my life is where the earliest I kind of remember it is at that age where I started to not want to be brown because I wanted to fit in even though I wasn't even around white people but I wanted to fit in with this image I wanted to fit in with this lifestyle because whiteness is sold to us as a lifestyle it's free you're traveling you're doing this you're doing that and I'm not doing any of those things so I need to be white And the problem with seeking out that whiteness and that white proximity, which you will inevitably do in your teens, maybe you're skin bleaching, maybe you're actively only hanging around with white kids at school, maybe you refuse to watch Bollywood movies, maybe you refuse to eat ethnic food. There are a million different ways that internalized racism can show up and manifest in your life. I mean, we've talked about it in our internalized racism episode, but I feel like after you start pursuing all that and pursuing the whiteness that you've always kind of wanted and that white proximity that you know is going to benefit your quality of life that's when you start not being brown enough for the brown kids you know what I mean like that's when you start not being brown enough for your family I feel like I'm not going to get too into the details of like the pursuit of whiteness because it's all in the internalized racism episode already um but yeah that's kind of where we all start out where we're all looking to be white in so many different ways and it's kind of when you realize that you're too brown for the white kids, right? And you're trying to rectify the situation. So that, and you're like, okay, well, I'm too brown for these people. Here are the ways that I can be less brown so that I can hang out with these people. But just like the result of that is then when, when, when you whitewash yourself, then you kind of become not brown enough for your own family. So now you're too white for the brown kids. And it's like this really annoying in between because you really so desperately want to fit in and you want to have friends and you want to like, you, actually, you just want to like yourself. Like you just want to not hate yourself, right? But then on the other side, 
Now your family is insulted and angry that you don't want to be brown. Even if you've never actually said it, they're picking it up. And that's a, that's one thing that I do want to acknowledge. It's like when you're an angry, insecure, sad teenager, like you don't really realize if your behavior is damaging to other people. <laughs> but then like, I feel like when I was younger and, you know, my grandma or my family were trying to make me wear like dirty clothes and have some kind of brown people pride and I was just like angry about it and leave me alone and let me do what I, all the Western things that I want to do and I don't have to be so brown and blah 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 but then in hindsight I'm just like damn like they were just like trying to help me not hate myself <laughs> and I was the one that was you know I guess taking out my insecurities and frustrations onto the people around me but there's this there's this tension that comes with being like a kid that like from a brown family growing up in a white country when your family doesn't understand that struggle they have their own immigrant struggles for sure but like they grew up in Pakistan where they're not othered at least in my situation they grew up in Pakistan like they don't really know what it's like to be in the middle they understand racism from their very specific vantage point but they don't understand racism from your point where you're hanging out with these people yeah is it like their identity is under threat, but they know what their identity is. Exactly, exactly. Like, I wouldn't even say their identity is under threat. It's more like the expression of their identity is under threat. Their identity is solid. Right, they know who they are. They know who they are, but it's like, maybe maybe in like a white country, it's harder to do the things that make you who you are, but you know who you are. And you don't need to do those things to know who you are. Whereas I'm in this boat where I'm like, I don't even know who I am, bro. Like, I don't Yours e- is like existential. Yeah. 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 Like their struggles come from like survival. And because I have don't have that struggle as somebody who grew up here, like I didn't immigrate here with no money in my pocket kind of situation. I'm here. I'm comfortable. So I now I'm having this existential crisis of like, who am I? And who do I want to be? Because you, you kind of have these really horrible thoughts where you're like, I don't hate my family. I love them. So why don't I want to be them? Why am I ashamed of being brown? And like, you don't even have that forethought, to be honest, when you're like 15. I didn't. I didn't have the critical thinking skills to be like, why do I feel this way? Is it white supremacy? I just like wanted to be happy. And I associated happiness with whiteness because that's what was being sold to me. And especially when like, the things you don't have, you know, for me, I mean, I was like a little brown Muslim girl. I didn't have the huge amount of freedom that a lot of my whiter friends did. Like, was I going on vacation with my friend's family for two weeks? No. <laughs> did I have a curfew? Yes. Which, by the way, are all very normal things. But when you like, when the only one of your friends who don't have these things are white people, you're like, damn, white people must just be free. <laughs> it's just like a freedom that you just associate with white people, which you realize later on is just not a real thing and you just kind of made it up. But yeah, you start to like think all the good things that I want that I don't have because I'm an angsty teenager are like associated with whiteness. Therefore, it's my race that's the problem. It's my race that's holding me back. And like, I can I can undo this. I can fix it. And I mean, something that, I, again, I don't feel like I thought about at all as a child, which now I think about a lot, is how much I myself perpetuated colorism by pursuing whiteness. Like, I didn't want, I wanted I didn't want to be like too brown for the white kids, right? So I'm like pursuing them. But then by default, I'm whitewashing myself and now I'm too white for the brown kids. But on top of that, like by idolizing the white identity and chasing it, like I was perpetuating colorism. I was rewarding people who had white proximity or who were white with my like attention um, and affection and like actively distancing myself from brownness and therefore brown people. And like that shit's just colorist. 
right? Like that's just my own internalized racism. But I'm like, you know, a perpetuator in this situation, which I feel like I don't think about too often. And a lot of people don't think about too often because it's very easy to think about ourselves because we were victims like of white supremacy, of colonizing. You are victims as like brown kids that hate yourself. But I think back to it and I'm like, but my hate for myself, I like projected onto anybody that reminded me of how brown I was. And that's like kind of messed up. But I did that. And I guess it's part of the journey. And I'm like, I'm at an age now where I can reflect on that and feel bad about it and maybe apologize for it and like fix these things in my life. But back then, that shit just caused a lot of alienation, right? Between me and my community. It's, it's, there's just so much alienation from being between two communities. And that, that can manifest in so many different ways in terms of your insecurities, because the obvious ones are internalized racism. But also when you're alienated between your two communities and you like want to fit into one but don't want to upset the other, that's when you start to develop a lot of people pleasing. I mean, that's just any like ethnic girl who is potentially the eldest sibling listen to th- listening to this will understand what I'm talking about, which I know is like very specific, but it's a thing. Um, but yeah, you start to people please because you're like, okay, I don't know how to get the affection, the attention, and the acceptance that I'm looking for. So I am going to become a doormat. But then by becoming a doormat, now you're becoming resentful because you're like, wow, everybody is stepping on me. I wonder why. (laughs) And it's just a mess. And that's kind of what causes, at least for me, like a lot of familial problems because I was so busy chasing the acceptance of people that don't care about me that I was kind of forgetting about my own community. And look, the community is toxic. Like I'm not going to pretend that it's not, but it's also like, my community at the end of the day it's still my family it's still the people that I care about um and I feel like I resented a lot of the brown community because I felt like they were in the way of me being part of the white community when in reality I was never going to be part of the white community ever like I'm literally brown like you just one look and there you go there's your answer it's like this really funny thing Flex said to me when I was in her podcast where she was like oh my god I was so scared to wear braids because then I thought oh my god they'll know I'm black (laughs) and it's like no shit right like it sounds silly but when you're young and you so badly want to be accepted you kind of forget that people look at you and look at you as like just brown you're like there are so many ways I can act behave dress talk that will that will differentiate me which is just at the end of the day not gonna happen it's not gonna happen and it's when you realize that to be honest that you like start to grow up but in your like internalized racism phase which is typically teens and like early 20s you're not really thinking about those things and there isn't any of that self-pride yet and you're just kind of at the point where you're like I hate everyone. <laughs> I hate these white people for not accepting me. I hate these brown people for, you know, holding me back, for being in my way, for making me who I am because I hate myself. And it's just so much projection, especially because I think a lot of us associated all the things we didn't like about our life with our culture and our family rather than just like our material circumstances. I feel like, you know, if I wasn't allowed to do something, which was probably quite reasonable as like a young person but my immediate thought was like I can't do this thing because of my culture and my family because of the people around me I was I was not very good at like looking internally or looking at the bigger picture which are like two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum I was always in the middle like I didn't think can I not do this because of my own self-perceptions and I didn't think can I not do this because I actually just shouldn't do this (laughs) you know um and then there's this push and pull of like just wanting to be accepted but not wanting to be a sellout 
And that's that I feel like that is kind of the heart of it. Like that is the heart of being too brown for the white kids, too white for the brown kids is you you want to be accepted, but you don't want to be a colonizer. You don't want to be a sellout. And how do you find that middle ground? The truth is it doesn't really exist, right? And that's kind of what I was talking about in the end of last week's episode. The truth is there there isn't a solution. And that's why we drive ourselves crazy trying to kind of fit into one of these things when our identity is its own subsection. You know, like being too brown for the white kids, too white for the brown kids is an identity in itself. You are not in between two communities. You have a community. You just like haven't found it yet. And I feel like I'm really finding it now surrounding myself with like other POC who really have experienced what I've experienced, who are kind of in the same boat as me. You know, we feel like, I mean, I often feel like I'm not cultured enough to really claim the brown identity and I feel really bad about it and I feel like I'm alienated from my community because of all the time I wasted trying to be white and it's really sad but also there are like a million other people of color your age that experience the exact same thing that you did and that's your community and also you can like still hang out with the communities that you don't like fit in with exactly because that's like the beauty of like diverse friendship groups as well (laughs) something I'm realizing is like I can just like not be as brown as them and still kind of hang out with them you know like it's fine I can not be as white as these people and still hang out with these people but I just yeah look I know it's hard I know that being in between is probably like the hardest kind of identity crisis we will ever have Um, And I know it's specific and I know it's hard to talk about, but that's, I guess, why I talk about it. I mean, that's a huge part of this podcast. I feel like a huge part of why a lot of you guys listen and a lot of the messages I get about this podcast are always just like, damn, like, I feel you. (laughs) And that's the vibe. Like, I feel you. We're We're all in the exact same position. We just kind of don't talk about it because, first of all, just like cultural taboos, but also like... When you feel like you're the only one experiencing something, you're not going to bother trying to start conversations about it because, like, who's going to relate, right? And I feel like that was me a lot of the time until this podcast because now I sit here and I just, like, talk about what I think are niche experiences. And then, like, a million of you are kind of just like, oh, my God, same. I'm so glad you feel me because, like, I went through that too and it was so isolating and so difficult and it took me so long to figure out who I am and accept my identity. And it's so nice seeing somebody else talk about it. And it's like... Wow, we really need to start talking about this stuff, guys. <laughs> we really need to start having these conversations. I mean, I talk quite specifically from the Pakistani immigrant child perspective. But, like, I love that you guys DM me and just talk to me. I was actually thinking, and um, I had a listener reach out, uh, Fatima, tell me that she reckons we should start, like, a submissions thing, which I am considering. Well, maybe submissions is more of a formal way of talking about it. But just, like, a way for you guys to share, like, your experiences that are, like, very similar to each other and like so we can kind of bond and it's like more of a two-way street yeah that sounds fantastic yeah because i I mean i can talk all i want for years and years and years about myself but i want you guys to feel like you're being heard and listened to and that there is actually like a dialogue because that's like i guess the limitation of podcasting is i'm just kind of talking to myself um and hey I, <laughs> well mitch is here <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like you know there isn't you guys aren't here And it would be nice to be able to talk to you. Yeah. No, I think it was really beautiful what you were saying in terms of, you know, it's not that you're without an identity, it's that this is your identity. And that's actually, you know, the first step into sort of accepting and reconciling your place within this world. And it's also recognizing that identity isn't some singular monolithic thing where all these people fit into the exact same, you know, circle. Uh, Identity is made up from 
a multitude of varying experiences. And that's what makes it, you know, so powerful in a way. Yeah. I hope that, I guess, expanded on what you guys wanted me to expand on. But I feel like this is the kind of conversation that I want to have less on the podcast and more like with you. You know, I want to like actually talk about this and not like as a one-way dialogue because this is an intimate conversation about like intimate experiences where you kind of want empathy and compassion and relatability. And so, yeah, we'll figure out a way to like create a kind of dialogue or submission or something where you can send in your stories because I really want that to happen and I want to make this like a more intimate conversation. Cool. Yeah. But but I'm going to end that with saying... You are so valid and I feel like you are not too brown or too white for anybody. Like you are just you and there are a million of us who feel like we are too white and too brown at the same time and that is our niche. Like we're all in the same community. You're not too or too much or too little anything. You're just you're just you and that's fine. Oh my god. We actually did it. We actually did a Minnesota for the finally third time lucky. That's crazy. We've really like really been struggling to actually like have a short episode. And I feel like today we tr- we like were not ambitious and we just did a short episode. I know. And like some of our first episodes were like 30 minutes long. And that was like a struggle to complete. And look at us now. An hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, usually. it's great. They're always way too long. Wow. Although to be fair, we didn't used to do follow ups back then. That's true. I feel like that's added on a significant chunk to our episodes. But. Anyways, Anyways, speaking of Minnesotes, like we've been saying for the past few weeks, we'll just be charging every second week. So, we charged last week, so this week will not be charged. And uh, that's for our patrons. And speaking of our patrons, specifically, we'd like to thank Pia, Beck, Rachel, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So, thank you so much for your support. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate at our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film, books and music and who knows maybe i'll just post something one day one day (laughs) (laughs) also if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion uh you can dm me or email us at here's the thing though podcast at gmail.com and please include your name pronouns and any other important info and also you should probably just like send us submissions that way for now right yeah please do like if you like listen to our podcast and you just like vibe or you're like wow i really have something to say about that like you can send me like a whole essay via email and i will like read it and like talk to you (laughs) so please feel free to do that um and of course remember to follow and subscribe it really helps the podcast get out there awesome thank you bye bye